I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be filled. This is the word of the Lord. our school-aged kids to the back. I know they're eager and ready. And let me invite the rest of you to open up your Bibles, if you have one with you, to uh, John 15. As the kids leave, um, uh, I'm going to bring your attention real quickly to your connection guide. You know, one of the things that we are as a church is a spiritual family. And... um, on your little connection guide, there's a little question of how can we pray for you. There's some other things on there about first, you know, taking a next step and those kind of things. I know we have baptism coming up here uh, in the next several weeks. And so if that's a step of faith that you want to take, then put that on there. Um, but I want to focus on the prayer thing. Um, it is just the joy of your pastors and our prayer team to pray for you. Um, I remember, and we've told before, there was a girl, a lady here named Crystal who had a lost uh, parent. And every week for three years, that was on there. Pray for my daddy. He doesn't know the Lord. And we prayed and we prayed and we rejoiced when her dad came to the Lord. Um, It was incredible. So uh, whatever you got, uh, enormously weighty or you might think it's insignificant. It's not. We would love to pray with with you um, or for you. And then uh, uh, we've got Family Summit coming up. And... Jason's going to tell you all the details about this at the end of the service. I just want to say, um, put it on your calendar, circle and highlight it. And if you have plans that weekend, and I never ask you to do this, from your pastor, I would ask you to cancel the plans. Um, Now, if your kid's getting married, go marry your kid. But uh, this is one of those weekends you don't want to miss. I just say that. We have put so much effort into this and the content that's going to be shared is going to be things that I think could literally change the paradigm of a family unit. So uh, that's coming up in just a couple weeks. Um, So put that on your calendar and, and make a way to get there if you can. Let me pray for us as we steady our minds and hearts. Father, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the face of Jesus? And Jesus, would you point us to the Father through your word? It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I know there's a lot going on today. As I prayed, I heard the, heard the planes. Um, so some, you know, some planes might be flying over at the air show. So that'll just be, you know, they'll just be amen and whatever we're preaching at the moment. Um, 
My mom asked me, she shared a little bit of that. She asked me, uh, you know, what are some uh, adjectives that I would use to describe my, my mom, her, or, or, and the kids started throwing them out about uh, Ashley, their mom, and my wife, we started talking about this, and I started thinking about this. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of unique uh, little practice. What about you? How, what are the three words that you would describe, you would use to describe yourself? If you could only describe yourself in three words, what, or five words, a phrase, what would you say about you? You start thinking about that. What are they going to put as the epitaph on the, on, on the grave marker? What are they going to put there that you were this? Our seniors are going to be, we're having Senior Sunday next Sunday. They're going to be, we're going to be introducing you to some of you who don't know our seniors and they're going to tell you a little bit about them. We probably sent them a questionnaire this week and hey, where are you going to school and you know, all those things, that's kind of coming up. But it's funny, when we get to this, when we get to God's word, what God says about himself, that's what we've been talking about over the last uh, six, seven weeks in this, this I Am series. And when Moses encountered God in the burning bush, and God said, you're going to go deliver these people that he went out there, and that, you know, the whole thing, we've talked about it several weeks, and Moses says, God, who am I going to tell them that you are? And God just says, I am. That's all he says, I am. And so you can imagine Moses going back, and he's huddling up with, his, uh, with Aaron, uh, his brother, who's, you know, going to be the priest that's going to help lead them out, and the mouthpiece for God, and Miriam, his sister, and he's like, okay, we're going to do this. Well, what's, what's the vision? Who, what are we going to tell them? Who's sending us to go do this? All I got for you is I am that I am. And that's all the people of Israel had to, had to really deal with. And it was such a holy, revered name that they refused to even write the words Yahweh. As you walk through the Old Testament, they translated that I am word to the word it's capitalized in your scripture, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The word Adonai basically is what it was. It was such a holy thing to them. And then Jesus comes along and he's going to give us context of who he really is. So when we look through the book of Psalms, they remember who God is by what he had accomplished. This is what he did. This is who he was. He's the one who rescued us out of Egypt. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that delivered us through the Jordan. He's the one that did all of these other things. And now Jesus is going to take us a step closer. Last week, we even looked at that passage. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus is going to tell us through these I am statements, this ego I me in the Greek, I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the door to access into the kingdom of God. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. Again and again, so we're, we're, Jesus is saying, so you want to know what God's like? You want to know the, the one that you were made in his image? This is who he is. And Jesus is going to say another one of those in the last kind of study today in John 15. I am the true vine. I am the true vine in verse 1 and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that you can bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit 
by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And so Jesus is using this illustration of a vine and the branches. Now, this would have been very well known. Again, because maybe some of you have never been to a vineyard and you've never, you don't know a viticulturist, you don't know a vine dresser, you don't know someone who's actually doing that job, it might be lost on us, but it would have been very familiar to the disciples. It was part of their world. Even today in Palestine, there are some vineyard, some vines that are over 150 years old, been protected through the world war, been cultivated through the droughts, survived all the storms. And so they knew when Jesus brought up this, again, even like last week, we talked about the way, the truth, and the life, and we went all the way back into kind of the Jewish wedding practices of the Israelites. Today, we're going to do a little deeper dive even in this idea of the vine. And here's kind of the purpose or the point, our purpose, the purpose of our life is to bear fruit. Ultimately, it's to glorify God, but by way of us bearing fruit, that's what he's going to say. So that you would bear fruit and glorify the Father who's in heaven. Our purpose is to bear fruit. That's why we're here. That's why God has left us on the earth. Is that we would bear fruit, and by bearing fruit, we wouldn't brag on ourselves because it says clearly in this text, you cannot bear fruit by yourself. That's just not going to last. But by us bearing fruit, it would prove to bring glory to God the Father. Our purpose is to bear fruit. So he would use this idea of this vine and the branches. Now they would understand, the disciples who are hearing this, and again the setting here is just so important. Remember this is the last hours of Jesus' life. And he has left the upper room. They have sung the hymn. They are walking on Passover towards the temple, really the Garden of Gethsemane, we're outside the temple. That's where they're going to spend some time. And on the road, this is the, John 15, John 16, John 17, such powerful passages. This is the conversation that Jesus has with them when he knows he'll not have another intimate conversation on this side of the resurrection again, this is what he shares with them. They're walking along the way and he says, hey friends, I'm the true vine and the father is the vine dresser. They would understand because the Jewish identity was always tied to this picture of the vine. Way back in Psalms 80, this is a song that they had sung in their festivals. It says in verse 8, Psalms 80, you brought a vine out of Egypt. Remember, that's them being rescued from under Pharaoh's control. You drove out the nations. Those were the people of Jericho and surrounding nations that had occupied the land. God, you brought out a vine. You drove out the nations. You cleared the ground. And it took deep root and filled the land. This is the prospering, even as God promised, of the promised land, of the people of Israel, his vine. As he promised Abraham that they would be a light to the nations. To scream, salvation is obtainable through faith in God. So Jewish was the, uh, to, to be a Jew or to be, to be of, of, of Israel as 
a cultural heritage. It was divine. So they understood that this is how God's going to use. But then even closer to that, the actual temple itself was where heaven met earth. And walking into the temple, there would have been these uh, elaborate stone structures that had, uh, it's just kind of cool to hear guys. It would have these elaborate stone structures that would be carved into the stonework of a vineyard and a cluster of grapes and a vine coming out of it. And so not only would they understand that, the, you know, my cultural heritage as a Jew means that I'm chosen by God to be a light to the nations, to be a vine that's been planted. But on top of that, the, like the epicenter of where this is going to take place is in the temple. And as they're kind of getting closer to the temple, I can imagine Jesus even pointing to that structure of the, of the sculpture of the vine and said, you know what? Hey, friends, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. But Psalms 80 would go on to say that the people of Israel did not fulfill that promise to Abraham up to this point, that all nations would be blessed through that vine. In verse 16 of Psalms 80, it says that the vine had been cut down. It's a failure of the vine to stay connected to the heart of God that led to a, the lack of good fruits. God had done everything to them, had redeemed them and rescued them and restored them. He was still restoring them, leading to the promised land, giving them his favor. But all they did, if you remember in the journey, was complain and murmur and make false idols. Their leader Moses has gone five minutes and they're like, hey, everybody give us their gold. Let's make something we can actually worship. And they make the golden calf. They did exactly opposite of what God told them that they should be doing. In Jeremiah 2, 21, he prophesies, God prophesies through, the, through his servant Jeremiah, yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of the highest quality. How then have you turned before me into a degenerate plant of an alien vine? He gets close to his people and says, you know what, I don't even know you. I don't even, what is going on here? I've done all these things for you and just put, all you had to do was just trust me. That's all you had to do was to trust me. And yet you've turned to false idols. Calls them a degenerate plant of the alien vine. And here's their sin. They wanted to obtain God's promises their way. That's really it. God, I want the promised land, land with milk and I want, I want all of those things, but I want to do it my way. At my time, at my speed, what I'm comfortable with, I want to do it my way. And God said, it just doesn't work that way. It was the same thing. It was the same sin of Adam and Eve, was it not? Wasn't Eve tempted with this very thing? Hey, I want you to doubt God's plan for you. You got this luscious garden. He's just given you two rules. But now you're going to go in and you're going to... How did, how, did, how did Satan phrase it? Did God really say... And then he goes to give them the, the fake vine, the false vine. You know, if you just take, if you just turn your back on him and trust your own instincts for a second, instead of the all-wise, all-knowing God of the universe that opened his mouth and spoke everything into existence, let's not trust him for a second. Won't you just trust your gut for a second? Take the fruit, turn your back against God and see what happens. I want the promises of God, but I want to obtain them my way. 
This was the sin in the garden. This was the sin of God's people leaving Egypt. This was the sin of the disciples. You remember just a few chapters ago, what did they say? They frustrated with the Samaritans and they're like, Jesus, can you use those supernatural skills that you've been using to like help people walk on water? Can you use those to bring lightning down and just burn these people to a crisp? That'd be cool. They wanted God's promise done their way. And if we can be real honest, friends, it's the sin of our own hearts. This is the very, this is, this is the epicenter of what we struggle with. Because we choose to live for our own glory instead of his. Because we choose to ignore and excuse the promises of God and the purposes of God in scripture for our own. Everybody wants to go to heaven. We just want to get there our way. And God says it's not how it works. He says he's the true vine. There is no lasting fruit apart from the true vine. None. Only superficial fruit. Only wax fruit, cardboard fruit. People do a good job at making fake fruit. Maybe you got some on the center of your dinner table. You go in, man, it just looks pretty. It's superficial fruit though, has no sustenance in it. I mean, I guess you could eat it, but you might go to the hospital afterwards. Beautiful paintings of fruit. Whole categories of art is painting bowls of fruit. And man, it looks so good, but it's not real fruit. There is no lasting fruit apart from the true vine. And to be disconnected from the vine only leads to a brittle life. You know, like the Christmas tree, any of you live Christmas tree people, you cut it down, maybe early November, if you're really in the holiday spirit. Had a friend ask me last week if it was okay to start listening to Christmas music. I was like, yeah, man, go for it. I mean, you know, let's just make it year round. Luckily, we don't have Christmas trees here. Some of you still do. I think Claire still has a Christmas tree up in her room. Um, the Christmas tree you cut down you set it up and you know it's just so pretty to look at and then a week goes and two weeks and maybe three and before Christmas ever gets here anybody that walks past it like all the needles just fall you're vacuuming it every day why because it's not alive and without a real connection to the true vine our lives just grow brittle and desperate and breaking down no lasting hope apart from a connection to the true vine. Scripture says there was no hope until the shoot took root in Bethlehem. Speaking of Jesus coming. Now there are many false vines that we run to. Many other things that we put our life in that we connect ourselves to in hope of finding satisfaction and fulfillment. But they don't produce real fruit. Again, just superficial fruit. And the point that he makes so many times right here, abide in me, that word abide or remain, remain in me. They had heard the truth. They were already clean. Scripture says they were part of God's family, chosen by him, God's favor upon them. But he knew the struggle they would face. And so what he's trying to remind them to is don't try to put roots in anything else. Only secure the root in me. Connection to anything but God through Jesus will lead to disappointment and worry and anxiety and pride. The religious vine we talked about a couple of weeks ago, 
we do well, we become puffed up with pride and self-righteousness. If we do poorly, then shame and despair kind of overwhelm us. The religious mind, a real thing, that we're going we're gonna to do what we got to do so that maybe at the end of the day, God's going to accept us and be pleased with our work. But it doesn't have to be that. I mean, in our, it could be family or marriage or kids or career or pleasure or social belonging or control or independence, <clears throat> recognition, political systems. We can put our vine into all of those other things and Jesus is saying, hey, just before you do that and just wreck your life, let me just... I'm the true vine. And any other identity that supersedes your identity to me is the false vine. When a man or woman's life gets tough, you're going to see what vine they're really connected to. Can I ask you that question? Do you know what your source is? I I know we're in church. You're going to, yo, Sunday school, my source is Jesus. What is it really? What is the thing that your life is really anchored to through the drought, through the storm, through the difficulty? I think if anything, you know what 2020 showed us? That a lot of people had a lot of false binds. And they were trying to get their sustenance from the approval of others or from their work or their finances or their security or their self-reliance or all the other things. And then everything changed and then they find themselves brittle like that Christmas tree just withering away. Didn't have a true connection to the true vine. Jesus reminds us here, the second part of verse 1, my father is the vine dresser. Friends, did you know that the father is deeply committed to the growth and fulfillment of his followers? He who's begun a good work in you will continue it and complete it. He's going to do it. He promises that in his word. He has never lied about anything. This is what he's going to do. Now, whatever it takes for us to partner with him in that work. I love this. The word that Jesus used uh, here of the father. He could have used the word farmer. People would have understood that, you know. And other places, Paul uses that, uses that term. This idea of sowing and reaping. But this, Jesus has taken this to a different kind of category of illustration. He could have used the word farmer. But he used vine dresser. Because this word is so packed with meaning. See a farmer would sow seeds and water the seeds and wait for harvest. And when it was time for harvest he would go and harvest the fruit of, 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 of his labors. And then he would wait around until it was time to plant seeds again. But that's not what the vine dresser did. Because there's no off season for a vine dresser. A vine dresser, even in today's world, has to cultivate the vine every day in every season. Through every difficulty, through no matter what happens, they have to work on the vine. And that's what he used. My father is the vine dresser. He gets cold, he's got to heat the ground. He's got to smoke out the insects. He's got to get rid of the disease. He's always cultivating. Man, look at this leaf. It's not getting the right nutrients. It needs this. A vine dresser, a good vine dresser, always cultivating. The branches. So God our Father, through the work of the Spirit, is constantly cultivating our lives so that we're going to bear more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. And ultimately, why? So that it would bring him glory. Not that we could pride ourselves. Jesus, look at all that fruit. Oh, that's right. That came because you're connected to me.
Wouldn't it be great if we had a list? What does it mean to really be connected to the vine? How can I know how secure my connection is? We had a list of what real vine connection looked like to ensure that we're connected to the right vine. And Galatians 5 gives us that. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. How does an angry man become more loving or an anxious woman become filled with peace or a gloomy teenager be filled with joy or an abrasive man or woman become kind or the forceful become gentle, the bitter become forgiving? How does that happen? Oh, only supernaturally through the work of the Spirit as you're connected to the true vine. Jesus says, hey friends, listen, I'm the source of all those things. Isn't that a list that you would love to see developed in your life? You can't go out there and earn it. You can't even discipline yourself necessarily to produce it. It only comes being connected to the vine. At least lasting fruit only comes. You might be able to muster up a good week or maybe a good day, but it's not going to last unless you're connected to the true vine. Again, many think that a connection to Jesus is like the sprinkling of fairy dust on our own well-made plans, our curated taste, our disciplined strength, but none of that's true. It's all from Jesus and it's all in Jesus. It's the only thing that will really last. The branch can only bear fruit from what it's connected to and knowing this, that we are meant to bear good fruit and it's actually our good heavenly father who helps cultivate the branches so that we actually do what we've been created to do. And the text tells us the two ways that the Father does this. Look at it with me in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. It's just translated here, this Greek word ira is translated uh, to take away. And, and that's a good translation. In the context though, and maybe your translation might say that he... He lifts up or he raises up. The word can mean either one of those. Basically, similar to the same thing, but, but read it with that translation in there. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. Now, the disciples immediately would have put that into context. Because see what happens is when a, when a, when a branch would grow and it would get close enough to the ground, maybe even touching the ground with the what the branch would do is send out these super immature, really weak roots and try to root themselves to become their own vine. But when they did that, they would, they would try to get nutrients from the top of the soil, which, you know, ultimately would not last. I mean, a hot day and, it's, and they're done with. And so that would meant that the branch stopped bearing fruit pretty much altogether or the fruit would be diseased or really weak in a, in a good vine dresser would come alongside, practice still happens today in, in Palestine where they have these vineyards. The, the, the vine dresser would come and he would notice these superficial roots in superficial soil and he would lift the roots up and he would place a rock under them so they wouldn't try to get superficial nutrients instead that would return to the real root system through the true vine. And this is what it says that God does to us is when he sees us putting our 
little immature, superficial roots into the soil of culture, drawing our identity by all the other things we're not meant to, meant to draw our identity from, from our marriage or from our kids or from the things we accomplish or our status or power or money or control or any of those things that we just want. I just want this thing so that it just make me feel so much better until I get the thing and it just leaves me wanting. A good father knows that. And before it gets to that thing, you know, he just kind of just lifts the roots up, puts the rock underneath it so that they will get the real nutrients from the true vine. And some of us in this room right now, God's in the process of lifting you up. And you don't understand what he's doing. And what he's begun to do is he's begun to, he's begun to take those roots and just rip them up kind of out of the soil. And you're like, but God, but God, I was doing this good thing. And he just, he's tearing away some of the immature rootedness and culture. You know, we grow comfortable. And we get comfortable if we're not careful, we grow unproductive. For the kingdom of God, we lose our vision, we lose our purpose, we lose our identity. We try to draw nutrients from all the other things. But the, here's the danger here, because you're still appeared to be connected to the vine. Anyone ever get stuck in a spiritual rut? Not hearing the voice of God? No passion for his word? No desire to walk with him? You ever had one of those weeks where you just blew it again and again? You lost your temper with your kids. You said something you shouldn't have to your wife. You punched your boss in the face. Whatever it is. You just have one of those weeks that just, I mean, if it could have gone wrong, it went wrong this week. And the end of it, you're just, all these things that, you know, you take pride in being a good dad and pride in being a good husband and pride in being good at work. And it just, it just, it just exposes you. And you're like, man, I got nothing here. A good father is doing a good thing by just kind of just ripping it up out of the shallow soil, putting a rock underneath it so that you will start to draw the nutrients and your identity and your purpose back from the true vine. Some of you are in one of those spiritual ruts. I just, just pray that God in his goodness, and this is what he's doing, would just rip those superficial roots up. So this is the first way the father loves us in this way so that ultimately we're going to bear more fruit. But second way he does this, it says in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he lifts up and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll bear more fruit. A good vine dresser knows the branches so well he stays with the vines for decades. The oldest vine I could find on record was in Slovenia, 400 years old, still producing grapes. How? Because the vine dressers have done their job of pruning branches that already produce fruit so that they would produce more fruit. Jesus is such a master in this. This is such a beautiful picture. The Father is so committed to your fruitfulness. Hey, I'm going to come in your life and I'm going to prune some things in your life that are producing fruit. And it's never an easy process. This is the discipleship process. This is the process of sanctification, of growing in the likeness of God. This is the process. 
but it's not an easy process. As a matter of fact, and you've heard us say this, all the words that are used for the process of discipleship, of maturation or maturing in Christ, are all, are all difficult pictures of, of heating up the gold or silver so that the dross would rise to the top, of iron sharpening iron, here of, of actual pruning. Now listen, theologically, we, we love this stuff. Man, John 15 is the best. Abide in the vine, abide in the vine, abide in the vine. Until we see God coming at us with a knife. And says, Luke, there's some things we've got to prune, bro. No, no, God, I just, I've tried so hard to get fruit on that vine, man. I've been working so hard at being nice and kind to people. I've been working so hard at being generous with my money. I've been working so hard raising these kids. He said, no, 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 this. you just got to trust me, man. I'm actually going to prune. I'm going to cut it back. So the next season that comes, there's going to be more fruit. More fruit than you've ever experienced. I remember the day before uh, Ellie was born. Ellie's our second, our middle child. And Ashley, if you've known Ashley when she gets pregnant, the only thing on her that changes is her stomach. And so she's, she is so pregnant. And we're going to have the baby like the next day. And I remember Ashley coming to me. We're talking on the couch. And I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Because <laughs> there's nothing the guy really does, Right? Ashley's actually on the bed delivering the baby, and I'm like, uh, I'm like sympathy panting for her over here. I'm like, <gasps> and the doctor looked at me like, dude, are you okay? I'm fine. It's all her. It's all her. I remember talking to Ashley that night before, before Ellie would be born, and uh, Ashley's getting real emotional. She said, man, I just don't, how am I going to love another baby the way I love Claire? Claire was our firstborn. We struggled with infertility. And we loved Claire. How are we going to do this? Well, you know, the pregnancy doesn't wait on people. And so the next day, Ellie's birthed into the world. And it's this cool thing that God does in your heart. He just opens up these new chambers of love that you didn't even think you had. And you're able to love two kids or three. Or like you love your wife when you met your wife. And then you watch her become a mom. And there's this new chamber that opens. And then you, you, you grow together and grow. And there's, there's more love now than ever before. Because there's this insurmountable amount of love that God can give through you to other people. It's just this incredible thing. And this is what God does when he prunes us. We think we're full of grace. And he says, you know, I'm going to cut that back. We think we trust the Lord until something's taken from us, financial security. Jesus, such a master at this. Things get cut back. And we will never know what we could be without a loving father who takes some things from us only to give us better, more lasting things. So two things he does. He lifts up and he prunes back. He cuts back. And then there's several things. There's really two things that he is emphasizing even in this passage. Remember Jesus walking with his disciples. Just a few hours left to live. 
to spend with them before he's going to go on the mock trial and be scourged and beaten and eventually die on Golgotha. Look at verse 9 with me. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified, again, this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Your fruit is your proof that you're connected to the true vine. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. This might be the most tender, most beautiful verse in all scripture. I know I say that all the time. I love this verse. All right, Jesus, what do we got to do to be connected to the vine? What do we got to stay? I want all those things. Help me, help me. What I got to earn, where I got to go. I'm sure Thomas is still thinking about the destination. Where's the way? Where's the way? And Jesus is like, hey, listen, hey, this is all you got to do. All you got to do. Remain in my love. Wait, there's, there's no striving. There's no effort. I don't have to go do anything. I don't have to go earn something. I don't have to, I don't have to burn. I don't have to burn the incense or say the right prayers or do the, climb the religion. I don't have to do nothing. No, you don't have to do any of that. You know what you got to do? Just remain in my love. That's so powerful to my own heart. I can be such a good Pharisee. I called my dad one time. It's right after we had planted the church. And I remember where I was. I was driving north of town somewhere and I called him and, uh, I was, and my dad said, well, son, you ready to preach Sunday? I was like, no. If you ever meet someone that's ready to preach, they're probably not ready to preach. Maybe I just haven't met them. No, I just, I'm not ready, dad. He's like, well, you know, have you done the work and the text? Oh yeah, I've done the work. I just feel like I got no spiritual power. I go in to make all my excuses. You know, I've been so busy and I've missed like four quiet times. I haven't taken time to pray and I've only read the text like four times and I haven't even talked to other people about it. Just the loving rebuke of a father. He just tells me over the phone, son, your spiritual power doesn't come by all the things you do. It comes through the faith and the one who has the power. This is Jesus telling his disciples, he knew what was in front of them. He, he knew that they would only be one of the disciples at the cross. He knew they would scatter out of Jerusalem. He knew they would die a martyr's death all but John. And he says, here's what you do. Here's where the spiritual power comes from. Remain in my love. Abide in my love. What is he saying? He's saying you've got to cultivate your friendship with God. I read a study recently where a Christian counselor interviewed thousands of people that come in through his practice and he asked them this one question, what does God think about you? What's the one word that you come up with when asked, what does God, and maybe you should do it, don't shout it out, but think about that. What does God think about you? What does he think about you? The number one response that came through on the little surveys that he gave them, the number one response was disappointed. God's just disappointed. I'm like the prodigal in Luke 15 and I've just squandered, I haven't stewarded the things well that he's entrusted me. Or I'm like the older brother in Luke 15. I've just been doing this religious dance. I just, I just feel that Jesus is disappointed in me. 
If we really believe what we say we believe, we, we don't rely on our own performance or on the accomplishment that we make. We rely on Jesus and the accomplishment of Jesus on our behalf. That's where our identity comes from. That is the great exchange where God looks down on me and he only sees the righteousness of Jesus because Jesus took my sin and took it to the cross and gave himself up for me so that when God the Father would look down on me, he would see me underneath the covering of Jesus himself, washed white as snow, scripture would tell us. Let me tell you what God really thinks about you. Those of you who have trusted him, you are a dearly loved son or daughter with the glory of God bestowed upon you. What's the quote that C.S. Lewis says? If we, if we really saw other people the way God sees them, we would never walk past a human flippantly again. Whoa, the glory of God bestowed in a person. That's what God thinks about you. So dearly loved. This, this is the relationship part. And then there is some responsibility. Again, not based on our performance because this is what the spirit motivates us to do in the first place. First, remain on how God feels about you. What this is saying is just this relationship with God is such a big deal. To walk with him, not just to believe the right things, but to walk with him. To live from your heart. To get excited about walking with God. I was gone this last week serving some church planners in Portland and I couldn't wait to get home. And Ashley and the kids came and picked me up with little signs. Welcome home, welcome home. I couldn't wait to get with them and just hug them. And we did what all good Christians do. We celebrated at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> and they don't let you play the little games anymore because of COVID. I know. Just this relationship piece of our heart connected to his heart. To remain in how he feels about us when we, regardless of how we feel about him at any given moment. It's not about our feelings about him. It's how he feels about us. Isn't that awesome? Can I, can I talk to the men just for a second? Men. In our culture, the only thing that men really get excited about is fraternity and sports. It's the only thing that can like rise any emotion out of us is like the fraternity kind of brotherhood kind of thing and then anything to do with sports. We will lose our mind over sports. I find myself like watching sports that aren't even, well I shouldn't say that, that aren't even popular sports. I watched an hour of lacrosse the other day. Okay, I was into it, right? I'm jumping off the couch and cheering for teams I don't even know exist. I don't even know what they're doing. I don't know any of the rules. But this is what we do. God wants our heart to be alive and full of joy to live from our heart. Look at David, a man after God's own heart. He was a warrior. The, the songs about him were, you know what, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And then he wipes the blood off his hands after being in battle and he goes, sits down at his harp and sings songs to God. He was a warrior poet and he lived from his heart. He got so just excited about what, who God was, he starts having a dance party listening to some good worship jams. And this is before Caleb was a thing, man. 
Like there's no drums in the background, right? He's just singing about the goodness of God to such an extent that it embarrasses his wife. And says, hey buddy, you're in your pajamas outside, man. You need to come back in. He's like, man, I'm going to be an idiot for God if this is what it costs. Paul would say that even of himself. To be a fool for God. To be, this is what it means, live from the heart. To be excited about what God's doing. To be in real relationship with him. And we come to church, and they're going to lead us in these worships, and we're like, I dare him to bless me. I dare, we, I mean, this frustrates me so bad. We got to love God from the heart, folks. Not just believe all the things. That's why I think seminaries should be the most charismatic places on planet Earth. But instead, they're the biggest graveyards you've ever been to. We're just dissecting up the theology of God. It's real relationship. And then here's our responsibility here. As, as a just side note, I've never met a woman who's looking for a man who's emotionally unavailable, with spiritual mediocrity, with no passion, whose heart is on autopilot. I've never met that woman. Friends, enjoy friendship with Jesus. COVID has been such a hard season. As a matter of fact, through COVID, 90% of pastors indicated on a survey that they did not think that they would be a pastor another year. Out of 100 pastors, 90 of them said, hey, I'm out of this. I talked to one last week and my heart was broken over the church that he pastors and what idiots they were being and what led him to this. But you know how you make it to the end? You just have a friendship with Jesus. And you have hard days and you're in the funk some days. But the best thing is just like, well, what do you do? Luke, what do you do? What do you do with, what do you mean friendship with you? Well, what do you do when you hang out with your friends? You just talk about life and you celebrate the good things and you cry about the bad things. You just, he's just your friend. Maybe I should stay here. I keep trying to go to the next point. Remain in his love. This was the secret, he said, to the true vine. Remain in his love. Then the responsibility, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. His words abiding in us. This is the truth of God's word. This is, this is the boundaries that we put up on our life so we don't end up on a ditch on either side. Through over-emotional, hyper-emotionalism in one side. Heresy on the other. This is where the word of God keeps us on the right path. We often think the goal of godliness is just accumulating more and more and more information. But I guarantee you, most of the saints who've gone before us and have done such incredible things for the kingdom of God knew way less than you do. They didn't have access to all the podcasts, to all the, to all the, the Hebrew and, and Greek. They didn't, have all, they didn't have all that. You know what they had? They had some of the truth of God's word. You know, the Bible wasn't even in print for the first couple thousand years. So they would go and they would hear it read and they would store it in their heart. And that little bit of truth, that nugget of truth, they would just meditate. They would sing it underneath their breath all day. They would think about it. 
the Shema, they would talk to their kids about the truth of who God is and they would meditate their hearts upon it. This is, this is why the, the, the guy in Psalms 1, whose leaf doesn't wither, who has fruit in every season, you, you know how he does that? Back and forth, because he meditates on the word of God. Not, not all 66 books like we have, not all the commentaries, just, just the basic truth of who he was, that God loved you so much, revealed through the person of Jesus who died on the cross for you. Then filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is one day again returning. And as we wait on that return, our hearts should be filled with gratitude and boldness of what he's doing in us. That we would meditate on that truth. That we would use the word of God to fight against temptation. To bring us out of doubt. That we would use it to fight, to preach the gospel to ourselves. Let me end with this. This is what all of this leads to. Just in this text, we don't have a time to even get to all this. When we abide, supernatural fruit is formed. Here's just what it lists in this own chapter. In verse 8, we live to glorify God instead of ourselves. That's supernatural. We begin to love one another. Verse 13 and 17 of this chapter. We endure persecution with joy. Verses 18 through 20 of this very chapter. We begin to bear witness to all that is happening. Verse 27. We display fruit that lasts, verse 16. But I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would last. Your fruit would abide. Let's, let's, let's land this thing. Isaiah 53 prophesies that Jesus, the Messiah and our Savior, God come to earth, would willingly be cut off so that we could just be cut back. He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the sins of the people. He was cut off so that we could be cut back. And this is what we remember in communion every week. That he willingly gave his life so that we could find new life. That he was cut off so that we could be cut back. That he was condemned so we could be accepted. What a beautiful picture. And as we end these I am statements... My challenge to your friends is to savor these statements, this revelation of who Jesus is. Not to just be mere intellectual knowledge, but they would motivate us to worship Jesus for who he is. That they would reveal his character to us. He's the bread that satisfies the deepest longing of the soul. And the light that shines to the right path, the path of righteousness, that he's the door, the access to the family of God, that he's the good shepherd that cares for his people and he leads us. He is our only hope of resurrection. He is the only way to God and he's the vine through which we experience the power of God in our life. Maybe we would think about these statements as we participate in communion. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion, but you do have to be part of God's family. So if there's ever been a time that you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, then we invite you to participate. And if you've not done that yet, we're just going to ask that you sit this one out right where you're at. We're going to be at the back, some of our prayer team, some of our pastors. If you just need to pray, maybe today has just been this real revelation that you've just been connected to the wrong vine. I've just been looking at all these other things to bring real satisfaction to me. I get so upset when my wife doesn't, doesn't do that or my kids don't do that or the finances or whatever it is. And maybe you just need to bring that to Jesus today and say, Jesus, 
Thank you for the hard word this morning and that you, in your care, you lift me up. Maybe some others in this room are going through a real season of pruning and it has not been easy. As a matter of fact, it might've been the hardest season of your life. You should remind your heart. Would you remind your heart one more time that God's doing this for your good? That he loves you and cares for you more than it's on mom's day, more than your mom ever could. He's the good father. Committed to your fruitfulness. This is the abundant life that Jesus offers. And most in the church never find it because they're connected to the wrong vines. Let me pray for us. I just encourage you, friend, just to do whatever God's leading you to do. God, thank you for your truth. Father God, thank you for your tender heart for me. That when I run away, you just wait. You just wait on me. Not with judgment or scorn. I knew he was going to do that. Oh, here he comes again. No, you see us coming home and you run out to meet us and you just love us and wrap us up with your identity again. Just the way you love and care for us. Your forgiveness, your grace upon grace. There's been, there's some in this room that have been running from you for a long time. They got hurt. They got lured away by something else and they've just been running. Father, my prayer is that they come back home today. Some in this room who don't know you. Maybe they've been playing a religious game a long time. They've been kicking the tires on this thing, but they don't, they don't really know you. Jesus, my prayer today is that they would find you. Would you give them the gift of faith today that they would be able to take the step of faith? For the rest of us, Holy Spirit, lead us to all truth. Bring conviction where there's sin in our lives. Bring healing where there's sickness. Bring encouragement where we're weary. As we take the cup in just a second, drink it that we remember your blood poured out for us. And as we take the bread that we remember your body broken for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.